From 3 Uncanny 4, this is Viral, a show about COVID-19. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. Emily Saul is off reporting. I am living right in the center of the COVID-19 crisis. I'm in New York City, which now has more than 43,000 known cases. I'm standing at my bedroom window right now. I hear sirens outside constantly. New York City paramedics have reported that they're terrified and overwhelmed with calls. And I can hear it. The other day I saw an ambulance pull up outside my window right here and bring a stretcher out for someone. I couldn't bring myself to watch. I walked away from the window. It just felt too personal to be watching that moment. It all feels like a horror movie. I don't mean in some abstract way. I mean that specifically. I watch a scary movie every single day. On Sunday, I watched The Witch about, well, you guessed it. That's right, an evil witch. You've cursed this family. The film is about a family who escapes their New England village in the 1600s, and they end up meeting the devil. And spoiler alert, it is terrifying. Yesterday, I watched The Black Coat's Daughter. It was about a group of girls in a Catholic boarding school, and there's this sinister evil force that terrorizes them. Last week, on the day the COVID-19 death count surpassed 17,000 globally, I watched an all-time favorite, Scream. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. As far as I can tell, everyone is talking about two things these days. COVID-19, of course, and whatever the hell they're doing to not think about and talk about COVID-19. And that mostly means what they're watching, which seems to largely be the Tiger King in Love is Blind. But I'm here to make a serious pitch to celebrate horror movies, to explain how they have seen me through an awful lot of real-life horror, and to talk about what horror movies can teach us about this moment right now. Because... Let's be honest, this is not a romantic comedy. This is a horror show. And it turns out there are these people, horror movie writers, who have spent their lives studying how our brains respond to fear, how we understand all-consuming terror. And that's what today's show is all about, understanding fear. For me, horror movies, they shut down a part of my brain. Or more accurately, they focus my fear so totally on this artificial, made-up narrative that I stop being scared of the real world for just a little while. The movie ends and I somehow feel better. And it's mostly been working. For the two or so hours a day I watch a movie, I can forget about COVID-19. Really forget. Because I'm in this other world. And then the movie ends and I feel okay for a minute. And then I hear the sirens again, and I remember I am living in the center of a massive global pandemic that is killing people around me. I talk to my best friend, Jessica, every day. 
Her grandfather, who helped raise her, went to the hospital last week. He was put in a medically induced coma. On Friday, she found out he tested positive for COVID-19. And then on Sunday afternoon, Jessica called me. She said that he had died. And they can't even have a proper funeral for him for fear that others in the family could get the disease. And now my cousin, Colleen, is working with coronavirus patients for the first time, tonight. She's a nurse in Manhattan. She's young and she just graduated from nursing school. I have to believe she will be fine through all of this, but I'm terrified. And my parents live an hour away from me. I wanna see them, but I'm afraid I will bring coronavirus to them. All we're hearing in New York is how people who leave the city are the ones who are spreading the disease. So suddenly, being scared for fun isn't so much fun because everything in my life is scary right now. And this one thing that I've used for years to cope, to have a little controlled escape, isn't cutting it anymore. I feel like we are living in a scary movie that we can't turn off, and I don't know how it's going to end. But because I work in podcasting, because I'm hosting this show, I've decided to explore my fear with the people who trade in fear. After the break, a conversation with two Hollywood writers, Craig Mazin, who's behind HBO's Chernobyl, and the forthcoming apocalypse series, The Last of Us, and Jeff Bueller, who's behind movies like The Grudge and Pet Cemetery. They explain what art and horror can teach us about fear in real life. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. The story of COVID-19 has all of the elements you would actually want in a horror movie. It's an invisible menace that spreads without a trace until it's too late. The health system's overwhelmed, the economy is crashing, and we seem to have conflicted leadership at the moment. Normally, I would love watching the chaos of something like that unfold on screen, but... It's terrible because we're living it. That's Jeff Bueller. He's the writer behind scary movies like The Grudge, Pet Cemetery, Jacob's Ladder, The Prodigy, and more. One of the joys of watching horror movies is that you can snicker in the dark and eat your popcorn and know that it's not happening to you. When you take out the, the layer of this isn't real, uh, it, it changes a lot of, of the experience. A few weeks ago, Jeff remembers seeing a news report that mentioned something about a virus in Wuhan, China. He said it seemed like some kind of crazy story that offered a tiny little pinprick of light from across the globe. If he were writing the film of COVID-19, 
He says that this would be his cold open, which is the big opening scene of a movie that tells your audience where you're about to go in a film. It's almost like the cold open is this stuff going on in Wuhan and people not paying attention to it. That's the scary scene that's far away where that gives us a hint of what's coming. And then somewhere in the first act, there's like this moment where people are raging in Florida and it's like, hey, I'm not going to let coronavirus bother me. And it's like, boom. We've seen that movie. You know, the one where the youths are partying and they don't know that danger is lurking right around the corner. That's a classic character in a scary movie. And setting up the characters in a film is key to creating tension. And we also have that in our current reality. The mayor in Jaws is basically every politician who's out there right now saying the beaches are safe. I mean, or, or like, well, we'll never be China. No, you'll be much worse than that. We've got all the great characters. The leader of our country, but just the approach to the whole thing. I mean, he's a great bad guy as a character. And I'm not even talking politics. I'm just talking choices. I still can't for the life of me figure out what Donald Trump is doing. You know what I mean? And so that's terrifying. That's that's from a movie perspective. That's a really good bad guy because it's genuinely frightening. Okay, so we've got the invisible virus, the kids who don't care, the leader who's sending conflicting messages about how we should respond. I really understand this scary movie. But I also know in every good movie, there's the hero that you root for. So what would Jeff write? We'd probably focus it all on a family stuck in their house somewhere. And maybe one one member of that family had some important thing that would, would eventually help solve the crisis. That would be ideal for a screenplay, um, whether it's a scientist or some great thinker or maybe somebody who, who has a different way of looking at the problem and is able to get information to the higher-ups or something like that. And even that's true to life. There's all the medical professionals, first responders, cashiers working at grocery stores. And then there's Jennifer Holler, a 43-year-old mom in Seattle who was the first person to be injected with a test vaccine about 10 days ago. She's a regular woman who raised her hand during a time of crisis. It inspires hope, doesn't it? Her family might be the one the film could follow. But in real life, the vaccine trial is going to take months. And there's something else that could happen in the middle of this horror film reality. In the second act, you then ramp up the tension and the destruction that's, you know, the, the problem that's, that's going on. Then everything goes to hell. Somebody comes forward with an idea that allows us to rise above the challenge, and we do. And we come through it. And here's the important thing that I think is really, really parallel, real, real life to what's going on now is you, you come through it, you persevere, there is a solution. It's not going to be what you think it was going in. It's not the world's not going to look like we think it will. It'll be different, but it'll be okay. And we will have changed. This is so important. So if everyone's a star of their own movie, I asked Jeff about my own personal horror screenplay and how it fits into this moment. 
I am in my early 30s. I'm the female journalist living in New York City. The city's under lockdown. And I'm kind of in my head. I'm like, in a scary movie, you're looking at the screen and telling her, get out of the city, get out of the city. <laughs> and yet I'm still here. And I that's kind of how the conversation started of like, what is my tipping point? in this horror movie where like, it's like, Oh, it's too late to get out of the city. Hopefully we won't get there, (laughs) but that's definitely something I've been afraid of. (laughs) The level to which things have got in New York, it's, it's understandable. And I think a lot of uh, cities around the country are watching what's happening in New York, thinking that's our future that's coming here. So learn from it. I would just say this, like the character of the young journalist living alone who wanted to leave and escape to her parents' house but missed the deadline and now is afraid to move or whatever as a character in the movie is probably going to serve some very important uh, role in finding a solution or helping people through it. And it might be that uh, producing these podcasts and allowing people to laugh and think and, and talk about it is that role for you. If we look at this as a movie, the, it, it definitely is going to get a lot worse. And we're going to go through some things that we can't understand and that are going to be really traumatic for a lot of people. But there's going to be a change. Coming up. If the best movies out there have some kind of big lesson, what's ours? And how is this thing going to end? A conversation with Chernobyl's Craig Mazin, next. As I spent more and more time thinking about the ways COVID-19 mirrors this kind of disturbing cinematic experience... I was reminded that it's not a fiction. It's our real life. And there are times in history, really pivotal times, where steady leadership was needed to save people's lives. And it's why I wanted to talk to Craig Mazin for this episode. He's the writer behind HBO's Chernobyl, the series that was based on the worst nuclear disaster in the world. In the aftermath of that crisis in 1986, thousands died misinformation, and a general disbelief that something like the disaster could even happen made things much worse. Craig is also currently working on a new HBO series called The Last of Us, which is based off of a video game of the same name. The story shows a dark future where a zombie apocalypse has taken hold and a small group of heroes is struggling to find a vaccine. Given the combination of these two things, telling the story of a real-life disaster and a fictional one that is, at times, eerily close to our reality, I decided to ask him, is this story of COVID-19 a great scary movie or a really terrible one? You know, part of the problem with things like COVID-19 is that as a virus, they don't just take advantage of our physical liabilities. But something like COVID takes advantage of our political weaknesses, our psychological weaknesses. Um, And one of our psychological weaknesses is a need for narrative. So we actually want to organize the world into a movie. It's very comforting if we can. Um, 
And so uh, we get into trouble, actually, all the time because of this. We think that we, we call it an enemy, and we think once we beat it, it's over, and we think it's destroying them because they deserved it, or that we can't get it because we did this. Or None of that has anything to do with the truth. And, and a lot of what Chernobyl was about was how narrative-resistant radiation is. Uh, and so the... The most horrifying thing I can think of is a kind of villain that doesn't follow the rules of narrative. Because what are the rules of narrative in horror movies? A villain appears, the villain hurts people, does bad things, and then is vanquished. Or not. And maybe uh, can never be stopped. And and what does that look like? Um, we, we, we're dealing with something that we cannot see. And we cannot necessarily save ourselves from. So um, this is not um, this is not a good movie. It's a bad movie uh, because it doesn't seem to have an end because it's repetitious, uh, because it defies the easy solution. There is no magic bullet that someone's going to come up with. I don't think in the next few days where we just realize, oh, like in Mars Attacks, if you just play very high pitched noises, their brains will explode. No. So uh, it's not going to be War of the Worlds where, uh, ironically enough, it's a COVID-like virus that brings down the enemy. Um, No, it's a bad movie. Um, And that's probably why a lot of us are really jangly, because we can't even process this through our normal narrative filter. I think that the story, sadly, has been told before. And this is the part that's so frustrating. Uh, We know what to do and we know what not to do. And we keep failing the test over and over. It's just remarkable. Before talking to Craig, I was feeling pretty good. My conversation with Jeff earlier made me feel that I was not totally crazy. And that if you really think about it, COVID-19 is a scary movie. The perfect cinematic horror. But Craig has a different take. He doesn't think this situation makes for a good movie for a lot of reasons. We experience a movie in real time, so we watch something, and then movies are designed to propel you forward. That's one of the rules of writing, screenwriting, is the story has to advance every single scene. We never go backwards, but that's not what this is going to do. This will occasionally not advance. Sometimes it will be advancing, advancing, but it doesn't look like it is. Sometimes it is going to be going backward. You may think you're in Act 1, you may think you're in Act 3, and then you'll go backwards, or you'll skip an act. Uh, So... I've been thinking more about how we are responding to it. In that way, it's a little bit more like a book. Um, and our, our, we are currently, uh, I think, we, we, are, we seem to be crawling out of the denial phase in fits and starts. And it's so sad how long it's taken to get out of that. Um, and I'm sure uh, that a lot of people are dealing with anger right now because that's pretty much what comes next. Um, it's going to be really bad. It already is really bad. It's going to continue to be really bad. And this is going to be in, in you know, the context of how you're describing it as some sort of theoretical movie. It's going to be a movie you're going to want to walk out of. And you can't. And you can't. Back in 1986, when the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, no one could believe it. It was Titanic the unsinkable ship. 
and officials in the Soviet Union responded slowly. Craig studied this event to produce the series. So I asked him about what happened then and what's happening now. In Chernobyl, you see the government's gross mismanagement of the crisis and and how it made everything so much more worse that they acted too late. And so how are you feeling about the government's response to COVID-19? Do you see parallels with Chernobyl? The tragic thing is I actually think the Soviets handled Chernobyl better in the long run than we are handling COVID. Here in the United States, it appears that the Trump administration, led by Donald Trump, their instinct was, uh, let's pretend this isn't a problem. Let's lie about it. Let's just say it's going to go away. And then when it became too big of a problem to deny or make go away, they still just stuck to that party line. And even now, appear to just be failing to do the things that are required to do. The Soviets marshaled a force of about 600,000 people and sent them to clean this thing up. We have a president who won't even press the button on the Defense Production Act. So at that point, I get really frustrated and I start to think, I don't even know how to convey these characters meaningfully in a, in a, in a television show <laughs> because I don't think anybody would believe it. And I'm looking for, where's my hero? Where's the hero? That's one thing from this movie or or series, if, if, if COVID-19 was one, that we seem to be missing. And when you look out into the world, do you... You don't see anyone that maybe you would write as that character? I see a ton of people that are uh, equivalent to Professor Lagasov. I see a lot of scientists and particularly medical professionals, doctors and nurses who are doing incredible work and who are out there speaking plainly and clearly about this. What I don't see yet is a guy like Sherbina. So Boris Sherbina was the was the Soviet apparatchik who was sent to manage Chernobyl. And ultimately, you need a government official who can say outside the building and inside the building and in front of powerful people, this is real, this is how we're getting it done, and I'm not taking no for an answer because this is the right thing to do. Sherbina actually did it twice. He did it for Chernobyl, and then he did it for the Armenian earthquake a year later. Uh and I don't know who that is. I, look, of course, I want to look at somebody like Dr. Fauci and say, thank God you're there. But again, he's a doctor. He's a scientist. Where is the politician? Where is the, I'm sorry, the state operative? Because <laughs> we have a state as much as some people wish we did not. Where is the state operative who is saying, no, we are going to do this the right way. We don't have that. We, uh, we, we are... Uh, struggling with the most inept lack of leadership I've ever seen, and also the most profound and demonstrative lack of courage. Nobody was talking about Valery Legasov or Boris Sherbina or any of those people for many, many years after Chernobyl. Sometimes it takes time. I hope that they're there, and I hope that they're taking action, because it seems right now like we're in a horror movie without a protagonist. (laughs) We're all just extras wandering around while... Jason uh, just moves through us with his with his axe. You know, I, I want to switch gears for a second and ask about The Last of Us, because you're working on that right now for HBO. And I just want to know how, if at all, is COVID-19 influenced your writing? And how do you write something about an apocalypse and a search for a vaccine 
in this current moment, like, is that so, is that really hard? In the case of The Last of Us, the pandemic is, is not a virus, it's weirdly a fungus. So it behaves somewhat differently. Um, but um, yeah, I'll tell you how it's affecting me. Um, mostly, the, the show largely takes place 20 years after a pandemic. And I think it's important for people to see what things would look like then. I think they will be perhaps more receptive to understanding that that's a real fate. Any kind of apocalyptic portrayal of our future at this point has to be viewed, I think, within the context of climate change, which is here and coming and proceeding along just like coronavirus, whether we want it to or not. Um, And then the question is, how do we survive and what does survival look like? And what does this do to our humanity? And how how does our humanity relate to the state of the world around us? This is a good thing in the sense that, not that, look, television shows actually just don't matter that much. I want to be clear about that. Nothing that we do is even remotely uh, as important or even interesting as what doctors and nurses are doing right now. Uh, But what is a good thing is that people are learning from doctors and nurses and hopefully not from cult leaders and uh, bloviating politicians about how you stop the transmission of disease. This movie of COVID-19 is not over yet, but what would you, what are you hoping, what are you thinking our big sort of takeaway is that people are going to learn? Is it just to treat each other better? I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? I feel like a lot of the best pieces of art have some sort of message that you can hold on to at the end. And what would, if you were writing this, what would it be? The next people in line, I presume, are going to look at and a pandemic as the greatest single threat to our nation and to our planet and to our economy. And rather than orient ourselves um, at a cost of a trillion dollars a year against a land war in Europe, which is not going to be happening anytime soon, it appears, what we are going to need to do is orient ourselves against this potential threat. Uh, Just like we need to orient ourselves against uh, threats to our information infrastructure, which we are woefully underprepared on. Um, And just like we have to do certain, um, I guess what I would call, we have to start thinking about the, the social net that keeps people alive. I hope that as a nation, we have the wherewithal to do this. Um, But first we are going to need to suffer and there is going to be a reckoning for all the people who told us firmly that there was not a monster in the basement when they knew there was a monster in the basement. So COVID-19 is the call coming from inside the house. For Jeff, there is a real movie here, and horror is a great lens to look at this event. For Craig, it's too obvious. It's boring. It's repetitive. I know this is going to sound so cheesy, but I do think it's true. We're each writing our own movie here. We're each alone in a room. Maybe some of us are with people we love. But we're all trying to figure out how to get through this. And in part, that means taking things really seriously. And in part, that means being kind to yourself and taking some time off and finding little moments to enjoy. And so for me... That means another scary movie tonight. 
Viral Coronavirus is a three Uncanny Four production. The show is hosted by me, TJ Raphael, with reporter Emily Saul. Our team includes Dan Bobkoff, Rahima Nasa, Lana Richards, Shane McKeon, Adam Davidson, Laura Mayer, and Jack Panyard. You can email your questions or comments to viral at 3uncanny4.com with the number spelled out. That's viral at 3uncanny4.com. We'll be back in your feed Thursday. In the meantime, rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps listeners like you find us.